Daily Ramam for Thursday, first day of the Shechidah, Shalom, Tav Shempei, sixth parak of Hilchus Abed Zara. So yesterday we learned about the Dinam of the Mesis, and the Navi Sheker, and someone who swears the Dinam of Abed Zara. Now we're moving on in the parak to the following six mitzvahs. Number 24, not to do Ayv. Number 25, not to do Yid Aini. Number 26, not to pass a child for Melech. Number 27, not to erect a Matzeva, some kind of monument. 28, not to bow on a stone that's meant for bowing. And 29, not to plant an Asherah. And what these all have in common is that there's, uh, it's either a form of Verdazara or it's tied, it's related to Verdazara somehow. And uh, that's why they're all here in Hafez Verdazara. Uh, so we're going to start with Isser, the Isser of Oven Yudoini, number 24 and 25. He's going to mention them together first, and then he's going to uh, describe them separately. So Aleph, So if you do either Oven Yudoini, which we'll define soon, so if it's willingly, on purpose, we already explained in the past, the double, it's not the Oynes, it's not under duress, and it's deliberate, so then you get Karas. And if there's a warning with witnesses, then the skila, stoning, maybe if it's a, totally an accident, then you bring a chatas that doesn't, that's a fixed chatas, it doesn't change. Uh, you don't go depending on your, uh, on your financial ability. Same exact thing that we had earlier with regular very desire, really. What is so now what is, what are, what are Oiv and Yudayni? So now we move on to the description, and we're going to start with Oiv, and he's going to bring two descriptions of Oiv. So description number one is like this. Kate said, Maisa Oiv, how do you do Oiv? So Zashu Oimudu Makdok Teres Yudua. So someone stands, and he, he has this incense. You Ram doesn't say what the incense is. He says, it's Yudua. And he's going to say this a few times, meaning we're not actually going to go and give you the exact recipe, detail by detail. We're just giving you the main points, and some of it may be common knowledge to those who know these types of things. So the k'tairas, the type, the ingredients, is known to those who know. And he holds uh, this hadas, uh, myrtle in his hand, and he waves it. And he says quietly, these, uh, again, incantations, things that those who know these things know, whatever it is that you say, we're not getting into what you actually say, but there are certain things you have to utter. What's supposed to happen is, if you do this right, what's supposed to happen is, until the person who's asking a question, because you're doing this, because you have a question, you want an answer, you want a response. So the person asking the live, feels, hears that there's uh, someone responding to what he's asking. The words are coming like from under the ground in a very low voice. It's almost like no one could hear it. But he could sort of, he's sort of um, feeling it in his mind that there's a voice speaking to him from the earth. Now, um, before I continue to the next description, that's description number one. So the, the details the Ramam has here with the, the myrtle branch. So it's interesting to point out that there's a very ancient work in Hebrew that's called Sefer Harazin, the Book of Mysteries. Um, some of the parts of it are actually included also in the more commonly known Sefer known as Raziel Hamalach. And this book is basically a book of magic. It's a very ancient book of magic, around for, I don't know, 2,000 years. Um, no, no particular name on it as an author, which is one of these very ancient works that are mentioned already many, many, uh, 1,500 years ago or more. It was printed and. Uh, it was printed for the first time in an academic edition in the year Tafshin Chavzayin, I guess 1967, based on papers they found in the Gniza in Cairo, which of course has many works that were lost until then. He has a long, lengthy introduction about the, the book and its connection to Judaism. And among the things he writes there, he says, he says he has no doubt the Rambam had access to the Sefer. And he points to this halach in the Rambam. And he says, 
Now, this detail about holding the Hadas, the myrtle, he says there's no other Jewish, early Jewish source that mentions this except the Sefer Razim. Look in the Sefer Razim, so if you flip a few pages, it says, If you want to uh, ask Oiv, what are you doing? It gives you very clear instructions. And when it, long past, you know, in it says, It mentions this myrtle branch. However, Menachem Kasher and Shlema, which is a well, big set that I used to refer to his farm in different places, so in the back, he says that the other details in Sefer Rosam don't seem to match what it says here. And he says the Rambam, as we discussed previously, the letter of the Rebbe, the Rambam said about himself that he went through all the works of a very desire, every, you know, every book he can find, any tract, any work on idolatry, on magic, the Rambam, for the reasons that he felt were valid, he went through everything. We said, we saw Marina Vuchim and then the letter of the Rambam's letter. He says, if the Rambam is saying he went through every book of magic, so why do you have to Dafka limit him to uh, this particular Jewish book? He could have seen it in any book, so not... Uh... Was he allowed to read all those books? Hmm? Was he allowed to read all That was the question we discussed a few days ago, where the Rebbe was saying clearly he thought you could. If it's, if it's for Torah purposes, if it's for a special, if he's, you know, he's at Hamachacham and he's studying Torah, it was necessary for him to read it. Um, right, so now we move on. To the second, uh, to the second description, I think. Yeah, one second. Oh, I just wanted to point out one more thing that uh, the Rambam is saying this lashon ki'ilu. He feels ki'ilu. There's uh, what does what does ki'ilu mean? So I already pointed out. Helps to say that when the Rambam mentions kishuf, is a very strong foundation to say that according to the Rambam, it's all a lie. It's all false. We're going to see later in I think in Perakid Aleph where he talks about nichosh and kaisam and all those things. I think the Rambam is clear there that he does not believe that it's actually valid and legitimate. Here, for example, though, it's not actually so clear, especially regarding Oiv. Oiv is a big topic of discussion because Oiv is actually mentioned in Tanakh. It says that Shaul wanted to ask Shmuel one last question, and he went to the Balas Oiv, he went to the, the witch who did the Oiv, and she brought Shmuel up, and they're all, by the way, there it's also clear that it's sort of meant to be a kind of communication with the dead. Here that Amam sort of also does not say that very clearly, especially in the first description. Just asking, and he hears a voice, in Tanakh, it's clear you're trying to reach the, you're trying to communicate with the dead, and this is a way to do it. And the, and this Tanakh seems to say that it happened. There are some. Hmm? Um, uh, look, I don't know. Look in, look in the white pages. I don't know. <laughs> the yellow pages. Um, I never know. Uh, I'm sure there are people that claim to communicate with the dead. Yeah, you definitely have psychics that claim by one means or another. You have to believe that. You, know, you don't have to believe it either. Um, well, according to the Rambam, you just, as long as you practice the ritual, as, as long as you just go through the steps, you do, you do the tyrus, That's I don't think according to the Rambam that would be necessary. As long as you did the, the ritual, you did the tyrus, you held the myrtle, you said the incantations, I think that would be enough to convict you. It doesn't matter if it worked or not. So, in that way, it is applicable in our days, even if it doesn't work. Or even, even if it never worked, if you do this, that's a form of very desire, just like any other form of very desire. Every other form of very desire, you also wanted something in in response to the very desire. Did the very desire actually deliver? Yes, no, but this is the ritual. That's uh, how how we're meant to understand it. And there are some Rishayim actually that do um, uh, sort of uh, entertain the idea that the Balas Oiv may have not been true uh, actually according to their Shita. 
The Raivet actually uh, interrupts here and says that uh, actually it's in the base Akvaris and actually it's uh, using the skin of a dead person and it's actually, uh, you hear the voice coming out of the armpit of the dead person. So the Raivet adds all these details and they're all connected to the idea that it's meant to be communication with the dead. And I actually saw that someone else claims that the Raivet also got that detail from Sefer Razim because you look in Sefer Razim, the first step it says, I'm made connected kever, stand across from the, from the, the, the burial spot. Now the Kasef Mishnah responds and says, Where does the Ravid get that from? Look at the story of Balas Oiv. She wasn't in the graveyard, so where did the Ravid get that it has to be in a graveyard? It's a bizarre house in this Jewish book. That's a whole other question. I mean, you know, the show, obviously, I don't think Shaul is commended for doing it, but it seems to have worked. Then it's just meant to, it's meant to be a story that happened, for whatever, whatever the explanation is. Um, of course, there are many other sources in Chazal. The Lacha Mishnah actually quotes the Rambam, who says clearly in the Pirush HaMishnayat that this is all false. And the Lacha Mishnah actually uses this to explain some of the discrepancies between what Chazal says to what the Rambam says. Because Chazal were describing it with the assumption that it's true. The Rambam is describing it with the assumption that it's not true, so that's why he doesn't mention the dead. You're not really communicating with the dead. You're not communicating with anybody. So he, that's why the, he actually uses that to explain the, the Rambam's description here. All right, so now moving on to the second uh, description. Here he actually mentions the dead. You take the skull of a dead person, a maktula, you do the incense, and you do whatever uh, magical, uh, whatever triangle, whatever process, whatever ritual it is. Until you hear uh, a sound coming out of, it sounds like your own armpit, very low, responding, these are all forms of oiv. If you do either one of them, in this skull, you get skila. All right. Now to you, Daini. Is, is there a translation for the word of? Um, not really. I mean, I think oh, in, in English it was called necromancy, uh, just communicating with the dead in general. Uh, and and the, the biblical thing would be called oh oh. It wouldn't have a. I don't think it has a specific translation. Can you ask the number of the Lord jackpot? Try, but uh, you might you might get skila though. Is this one also limited to the examples that are given in Torah of Oyvim and or is it? Any type of necromancy that you could involve. No, these seem to be specific uh, types. types. There is another, the which is a general uh, form of in the interceding with the dead, and Ram is going to mention that later, I think of Perkidal. So there is, these are like very highly ritualized uh, forms that are known as Ayyad. Bez, Ketzad, Maisa, Yadaini. How do you do Yadaini? So he says, Maniach had some Ayyad, Shishmoya, Duabafiv. So he takes the bone of a bird whose name is Yudua. Now, here you might also want to read it as the bird's name is known, but it's generally accepted that the Ram actually means here that the bird's name is the word Yudua, because the word Yudaini, Yudua, um, so that's actually the name. And again, there's incense, and there's other stuff you do that I'm not going to get into all of it. He's just telling you the important stuff. In this case, the person himself falls as if he has uh, epilepsy, he has some kind of episode, he collapses. And this time, apparently, it's, the voice is coming out of him. He starts uttering the, the predictions. So before I continue to that, I just want to point out something interesting about uh, what Chassidah says about Yudaini. Uh, uh, in the Mikdash, the Raman talks about Mur. There's Mur in the uh, Tyrus. Um, and he says that it's the blood that's, uh, that sort of pulls up in the animal and haydu haydu alakar, it's known to all, um, which people perfume themselves with everywhere. It's a very common perfume. Now, over there, yidua seems to be more in the sense of it's a known animal. Not that it's a particular one. I mean, you know that it's the, the musk deer. If you assume it's musk, so it's the musk deer. 
However, the Alter Rebbe in a few places says in a few places, and it's quoted in the Marm after the Alter Rebbe, and I'll quote from where it's in Teira Er and in Drushim for Purim Chayiv Inish. He says, so Mardachai, we say it's Meir Adachia. So there's the connotation of Mar, Mer, in, in the name Mardachai. He says Mardachai is, is connected to Bittel. He says, Rambam, according to Mar, according to Rambam, Mar is musk. And he says, Shudam Chai Yudua, it's from this unknown animal. And it's from the, whatever the process is. He says, then in, 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 that's the idea of his hapcha. You're taking something bitter and turning it, making it sweet, taking the blood, you're turning it into perfume. And, uh, that would be in the person. You also, you take your blood of the nefesh, Shabahamis, and you're, uh, you're, you're transforming it into something, uh, perfume-like. Right. So, so that's a plant. So, so a, plant. a plant. Yeah. But, the, but so it's, the, the I think the Tzemach Tzedek probably added there that there are other Rishayin and that say something else, but the Rambam says that it's musk. That's what it said clearly in, in Hilchus Klei Mikdash, the Hamur, who, and he says the, the animal. Uh, so he says, and then it's Machlek, yes, whether, whether musk is mutter to eat or not. Um, so he says, assuming that it starts off as a not kosher animal, which I guess itself could be disputed because the musk deer might technically be a kosher animal, but the Altadab is numbing on that it's a not kosher animal. And the question is, how did the, how, how did the, uh, the blood become mutter ba'chila? That's a, the halach discussion. Um, and I think someone points out that actually, if you look in the halach discussion, the, the problem doesn't seem to be that it's not kosher. The problem seems to be that it's, um, that it's blood. How did the blood become uh, mutter ba'chila? Not the, the animal might be kosher. But the Al-Tadab is, a lot of interesting things going on here. The Al-Tadab seems to make an assumption that it's a not kosher animal, but somehow the blood might become mutter. And he says, that would connect the idea of zdainus nasulai kazachias. That the, the negative not, doesn't just get transformed into less of a negative, but it mamish becomes pure. He says, The chai yudua from the mar, from the musk, is the same chai yudua from yudaini. So it's miklipas atmeis. You don't get more klipa than yudaini. And still, you can get the perfume, and still, according to some price, it becomes even mutter ba'achila. So it's mamish, the idea that the zdainis become like zachias. And that connects to Mardachai, although maybe, maybe Mardachai fits more with the shita that it's not mutter ba'achila, so the zdainis become, uh, like, uh, shkagas. A whole discuss, very interesting, uh, discussion. It's been discussed a bit in, in recent, uh, you know, Kaifzin discussing what's the Abba saying, but that's just an interesting thing we have to mention that when we talk about Yudayim. says in the note here, Rashi says that Yudua is a wild beast. Right, so we said that, oh, well, first of all, Rashi says that it's a Chaya. Rambam is the only one who says that it's an Oif. The question is where did the Rambam even get that it's a bird from? But, um, either it's a bird or an animal whose name is Yudua. Yeah, that's what the, the Rambam seems to be saying. Um, and the Alter Rebbe somehow took the Yudua from here and the Yudua from there and, and said that it's, it's all one. Very interesting. Now to conclude, Allah Bayes, back to the, the Halachas over here. So, so first of all, this is actually pure Avedu Zara. It's counted separately, either because it needed special mention or maybe it's a Chiddush that it's counted as Avedu Zara. Whatever the case is, it's actually really a form of Avedu Zara itself. Where do we see that? Again, we always look for where does it say in the Torah clearly, don't do it. This time it's actually very clear. It says in Kedoshim, don't do it. It's mentioned four times in the Torah, and one of the places it says they get stoned doesn't say it in a negative way. So we look for the pasuk earlier where it says Al Tifnu. All right. Now moving on to we finished the Ivan Yadayin, moving on to number twenty six, which is Moilach. Um If you do it willingly on purpose, Karis Beshaygin maybe Chatos Kavua by mistake you bring the Chatos. It's fixed. Also, also really the same, the same din. If you did it with witnesses and a warning, you get the stone. 
pretty clear says you get stoned. That's harshly minayim, but that's that's a matter of fact description. Where does it say don't do it? Also there, also in Devarim it says So um, we have uh, you know plenty of psukim also that I mentioned Meilach, and you have it you know, both as a skill and both as don't do it. So what is it? Oh, so now we want to the description. How did they do Moilech? They light a big fire. He takes some of his children, not all of his children, and he hands them over to the, the priests who worship the fire. And then once they have him, and they sort of give the go-ahead, then they return him back to the father. And now it's the father's turn. The father actually does it himself. And he is the one who brings his son over the fire with the agreement of the blessing of the of the priest. And he brings them by foot and it's discussed what this means. But I think later we're going to sort of assume that it means the child has to be walking and the father is sort of guiding him, helping him from one side to the other through the fire. Not that he's burning him, which they might have done for other idolatry. We're not saying they didn't do it, but that's just a different kind of form of idolatry. This Melech was only you passed it through the fire, passed the child through the fire. Therefore, if you do it for another way desire, if you mix and match, this is this is exactly what we described in a few talking ago as derech It has to be the way that particular way desire is worshipped. So Mayalech is worshipped specifically in this way. Other way desires are worshipped specifically in another way. You have to get it right in order to be considered every way desire in these cases. Um, and now to get, since that's the case, so therefore you have to get it exactly right. So, you need all these conditions. You have to hand them over to the priests, and then he has to walk through, and you have to guide him, and he has to pass through the fire. So, let's say he handed him over to the priests, but he never helped him through the fire. Or, however, he guided him through the fire, never handed him to the priests. Or, he did it all, but he didn't pass him through in the normal way. Potter, that would not be considered Mailach. He's only Chayv if he uh, hands over some and leaves some. So this is actually a kind of a riddle. I saw this posed somewhere as a riddle. Hey, Chetimtza, that uh, you do an Avera and you're Chayv. Then you do more of the Avera and now you're Potter. So this would be the answer because it says here, according to the Amam, seemingly, you're Chayv for the first one, but, but let's say you bring the rest of your children. You bring us your children. You did more of the Aveda. Now, Kupta is your potter. Taisfus has a problem with that. Um, but, uh, that's, that seems to be what the Naam says. He has to give some of them, not all of them. Um, now, um, yeah, so, yeah, okay. Uh, echad. So now we're moving on to some more details on this. It's a matter if it's a legitimate son, an illegitimate son. Mamzer doesn't matter as long as it's his offspring. It doesn't matter if it's son or daughter or his grandson, granddaughter or grandchildren. Um, great grandchildren. Any descendant. Sounds like there's no limit uh, whatsoever. Because they are still called Zare for this purpose. But if it's brother, sister, parents, ancestors, or himself, that would not also not count as Mayla, because you have to do it this specific way. What if you talk a child, but the child was sleeping or blind, 
Potter. So now this would fit with the idea before that the child himself has to walk and the father has to guide. So if the child is sleeping, the child isn't walking. The father is taking him completely. Or if the child is blind, then he can't really walk and then the father is guiding him. The father is doing all the sort of all the walking friends. He can't see where he's going. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, so back just wanted to say about the, 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 the Zahakira, about what if, uh, what if there's a Ben Yachet? You said earlier, what if you have a Ben Yachet? So Taisvis actually says that that's the case in which you're potter. Meaning if you take your Ben Yachet, so in one shot, you brought all your children, quote unquote. So that's what it means when it says that Kulay Vlamiksas. But according to Taisvis, if you brought one and then, uh, you brought another one, you can't be unchayev. Once you become chayev, you're chayev. But, uh, because the Mishnah says no, according to the Rambam, because the Mishnah responds to the according to the Rambam, it seems that no, you would become when you bring the first one, it says like your tail of Oemid. You're we're still waiting to see what you're gonna do next. Once we see what you do in the end, then we'll actually decide if you're high or not. Um, which I don't know how long, I mean, technically uh you can wait a long time. I mean, you have a lot of time to do that. And people say, you know, why why are you saying that? Why is the Kassab Mishnah saying that? Maybe the Rambam agrees with Taste, but that's what the Kassab Mishnah said. Uh so now we're moving on to um so that was uh so that was Number 26, and moving on to 27 and 28, Matseva and Evan Maskis. So we're going through a bunch of topics here today. Uh, so number 27, Allah Chavav, Matseva Sha'asra Taira. So the Taira has something against monuments. So he binyan, she'yu akal miskabs and So it's a kind of building where everyone gathers around. Even if it's to worship God. So this is actually the first one where, where it's actually not necessarily actual idol worship. Why? Because that's what the, that's what, that's how Avedu Zara became so identified with Avedu Zara that you shouldn't do it. Shinemar, Lesakim, Lacha, Matseva, Asher Sane Hashem, Lekacha, you should not erect a Matseva that Hashem dislikes. If you do it, Leka, you get Malkus. Now, today, of course, the word Matseva is most closely identified with actual, uh, Kvarim, and we do sort of gather there, but, uh, not in that way, apparently. I mean, I think I saw someone, like one of the real hardcore Rambamistim who exist out there, I think they try to argue maybe the Rambam was sort of hinting that maybe uh, he would have had a problem with even the cave by Sakvaris. But I, I'm going to bring this second. There's actually a, a source in Chazal that says explicitly the opposite. Um, so um, it's not actual Abedu Zara, but somehow it was so identified with Abedu Zara um, that it became Asr. And this Pasuk is actually from... This week's it's next to the Pasuk of Asherah. Now, the question is, what's included in a Pialacha, right? So I saw a whole shuva, someone asked, there's a show they wanted, it was after one of the, in the last 10 or 20 years, they wanted to build a monument for the soldiers who were killed in, in a certain uh, military uh, situation. They wanted to put up a monument in front of the show. The question is, someone said, is that a Matseva? I mean, uh, you know, what's the halacha? So, very interesting shiva. Obviously, I don't have time to understand it very, very short. This, first of all, is a whole discussion about the Ovis, because throughout the Torah, the Ovis are putting up Matsevis right and left, and that's been always big, always been a big discussion. So some say, uh, you can't always learn from the Formatan Torah. Sometimes they did things from the Torah that were okay, and it became also only after the Torah, but Formatan Torah wasn't a problem. However, interestingly, the Ibn Ezra, and his pure law terrorist says that it's only us or for desire. If you're not doing it for very desire, it's no problem in the first place. And some people say, what? I mean, uh, that's, not the, that's, not, that's not how we say the halacha. Nothing. It just says this word. The Sakim the Chamatseva Shersani Hashem Legachah. The Matseva Hashem doesn't like. And you don't have this before now? No, no. It's in this week's parsha. You can take a look. It says, don't, don't plant an Asherah and don't put up a Matseva. That's all it says. Um, so the Ibn Ezra actually says, no, it's only if, if it's actually deliberately for a Vedazara. And some said, what's the Ibn Ezra talking about? And some said there actually is a Medish Chazal that says 
maybe putting up a matzeva on your father's kever is also included. Talmud Lamer Asher only what Hashem hates. What does Hashem hate? Avaydazara. Not Avaydazara would be mutter. So actually, the Benazra is in line with that. And they say maybe the Rishami also fits with that. However, Allah, that's not when we don't go that extreme. Clearly, the Rambam takes it a little further. Interesting that Barbano also says, Barbano says that, um, it was, it was not even really together. It was just Lizzie Karn. It was just as, uh, just a, a memorial. So if it's just a purely memorial, it might not even be in, in this whole, uh, in this whole framework. But this Paisic, this person wrote the Shiva says that Adam himself said, Shiyu Akril Miskapsin, it has to be for the purpose of a gathering. So he says that as long as it's not for gathering, it should be okay. So you can put up a monument uh, for the lost, the fallen soldiers. So what about the Holocaust memorials, though? Because Holocaust memorials are sort of designed, you do have people gathering around them. So he said, well, according to the Rambam, maybe it would be a problem. But he says, the other Rishayim says, the smag actually says it's for Lahakrava, uh, for Avedazar, and the Chiddush is that not just uh, for Avedazar, but even for Hashem, it would also be also for Akrava. So maybe according to the smag, a regular monument uh, for gathering would be okay. But it's actually a sort of a practical question, interesting question. Moving on to the next uh, halacha in halacha vav mitzvah number twenty-eight, the maskis, Evan maskis. Chen of a maskis the stone for bowing. Again, even if it's for bowing to Hashem, you get malchus shenemar. Evan maskis lisitnu ba'etzchem l'shtachem esalaha. This is a pasuk in Parshas Bahar. You shouldn't have these special stones for bowing. Um. Oh, Matseva. Yeah, yeah, it's reasonable to, but but that's not how uh, you know. It's not, I, I don't have off the top of my head, but apparently from the Gemara, from the Rambam, it seems clear that it's not purely for every desire. Um, now, for the Avamascus, it says you shouldn't have an Avamascus to bow. Again, because this is this was very closely identified with the practices of, of idolatry. How did you bow? Bowing in, in general is, is bad, but Avamascus a special thing where you would put the stone and you bowed on the stone. So you don't do it for Hashem either. You don't get Malchus until you actually are fully prostrated, hands, feet on the stone, and your whole body is on it. That's what the Torah is talking about, right? We mentioned a few days ago that Rama mentions the way the Muslims uh, bow with part of their body up in the air. That's actually more like Pu'er, flat, completely prostrated on the ground. Um, now to, to limit it a little bit, other um, in your land, it's not, it's a problem. In your land, wherever you are, you shouldn't. You have the hoon stones that are nicely set up in the Mishnah there you're allowed to bow. You bring some realia from his time. That's why the meaning of all Yidin is if you put down mats, the shul has uh, stones, stone floor. If you put mats, or just some kind of straw, they want to bow, so it separates between their face and the stones. And if you can't find something to, 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 to break between you and the stone, find a place without stones. Or you can lie on your side. And that apparently wouldn't be a problem of Evamascus, but you would be counted somehow as, as Balak. As long as your face is not stuck to the stone. Ches, um, a number of other pratim and balam. If you bow into Hashem and you're not fully prostrated, then you don't get malchus. But we beat him up uh, on our own. 
Now that I'm goes to a different Allah, what if you're actually bowing for Avedah Zara? I mean, in Tana, we're talking about bowing to Hashem. And we said that if you're fully prostrated, you get Malchus. If you're not fully prostrated, you don't. It says, if you're bowing for Avedah Zara, then it actually doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if you are prostrate, you're not prostrate. As long as your head touches the ground somehow as a form of bowing, Niskal. So that's a whole different thing. But for Evan Maskus, which is what we're talking about here, it depends how you do it. Um, now, the halacha, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, Simak of Lamanal, getting the Filas which is the thing we do today that's the closest, it's called the Filas we're falling on our face, although obviously we don't uh, do that anymore. So, Ramah Paskin, Zevchen, also, Chalad, and Lipala, Pan of Apishi, Daim, Raglam, a few of them, ain't Sham Evan Maskis. So, you bring some Sami Shain and Lagoyas, Shain, and Rivash. Even if there aren't stones, you're not allowed to fully prostrate yourself on the, on the ground. So, in time of the Ramam, it sounds like they still were, as long as there were mats. The Ramah's already saying, no. So in order, you have to do two things. You have to both have not stones and be a bit on your side. It says, You should put some grass there. Now, there are different opinions in the place. What and how? Our minig, of course, is, um, I mean, we're not putting any kind of floor and we just put a towel, but we don't, we don't go on our side. That's uh, our minig. And possible that actually the way we do Nafil Sapayim by Shachar Samimcha, where first of all we make sure there's something on our hand, there's uh, either the talus or the sleeve, and we tilt our head to the sides, both of those things may actually have something to do with this idea. Meaning the assumption is that because you're trying to do Nafil Sapayim, you're calling it Nafil Sapayim, so even though you're not actually on the ground at all, but you also have to sort of keep to those, there are other ways of explaining why we do it, but that's I think one of the explanations that's actually a form of being concerned about this. There's also, just on this general topic, I just want to mention from the, the Rebbe, the Sikh where the Rebbe talks about the Levenim, the, the bricks from the Mitzrayim. He describes the difference between Avonim and Levenim, bricks and stones. He says, you see in Allah that they're not the same because the Isser is, at least officially, by stones and not by bricks. And in the Sikha, and the Pnim of the Sikha says the reason is, the reason why stones are usher is because you can't do it the way it was in the Beis HaMikdash. In the Beis HaMikdash, there were stones. In the Rashi, in the Megillah, the Asr Taira, the Pasuk Zeh, Elish Le'yasu, Ritzvah Savon, Beis HaKnesses, Dugmas Shil Mikdash. That according to Rashi, the whole basis of the Isser is different. That it's, it's, you, you shouldn't imitate the Beis HaMikdash. And R31 there, he quotes the Namamir. And the Nam says, no, the problem is that it's like a very desire. And Beis HaMikdash is the exception, but the problem is that it's a very desire. And he says, even according to the Rambam, surely the Avedu Zara itself reflects how they did it in the Beis HaMikdash. In the Beis HaMikdash, they did it right. The Avedu Zara adapted and does it wrong. That's why you can't do it anywhere else. And the same thing with the Matseva. That is a good Matseva. There's the bad Matseva, which ties into what we spoke about before. Okay. Now for the last thing, number 29, last topic. If you plant a tree by the Mizbech or in the whole Azara, even if you meant uh, you meant well, you wanted the basement to be beautiful. So really over here also you said that Asher is a very desire, but technically it doesn't have to be a very desire, even if it's not. Same thing again, it's because that was the Derech. They would plant trees next to the Avedu Zara's Mizbeach so that the people gather there. Also, this idea of gathering, like the Matzema. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of discussion on this whole topic. I'm going to mention a little bit. I, I didn't, uh, I don't have offhand, but specifically, the Raman is going to talk about a little bit about the Yud. You're now to make these wooden porches or things like that in the base of the Mishkadech, where you do in a yard. 
even though you're not planting anything. It's a wooden structure. You didn't plant trees. It's extra precaution. Should never call eights. Any kind of wood. Anything that came out of the base of Mikdash there, shall even all you lay, shall age was made of stone, not of wood. Now, the Ravid, uh, has a commentary. He says, first of all, there's Lishka Sa'ets, something called Lishka Sa'ets, that's the Pine Godel's Lishka. So he says, no, he, here the Ravid seems to be answering himself. He says, no, that was a bias. It was actually a, a, a house, which, what, what exactly does that mean? But okay. Uh, is the beam, what about the beam of Bihakel? The, the beam of Bihakel, the, the belt stands on a beam of wood. That's temporary. That's okay. What about the Xustra, the Ezus Nashim, uh, the Bechitza, they stood on top for Sultan Also temporary. Based up here, where the Rav mentions this halacha, the Rav also has a saga there, and he asks the same question. What about Lishkas Kain Gadol? Is married eights? What about Sultan Sheva? You have the Xustra, and here gives a different answer. He says, the Ezra Tzara called eights, Ella eights from Mizbeach Hashem, the Ezra's Kainim, Mishar Nikram of him. The Ezra is actually only in the Ezra's Kainim. Once you pass the Ezra's Nashim, the Harabayas, you can do whatever you want. This is a very, very big topic. Svar and Kaitz and people like to write about it. There's a few stuff in the Rebbe actually on this. The whole sikh about Lishka Se'etz. This is according to the Rambam. How the Rambam answered, the Rambam will say that it was covered with the, with the cement, and in which case it doesn't count as a wooden structure. And he brings a whole beer from the Levik, the Rebbe's father's Taira, to explain it. There's also a letter from the Rebbe and Igris, Chelek Beis, from Tafshin Hey. How did the Kehanim eat on sukkahs? You need to make a sukkah. The sukkah is made out of wood or has wood in it. So the whole very interesting letter from the Rebbe about that. There's also a off from the Rebbe from Tafshimam. Hey, the Rebbe says the lesson from this is that some, just because something is beautiful, just because it's Sheyuskabtu, it's going to make people gather around, doesn't automatically mean that it's okay. If it uh, has connotations of Asherah or Vedazara, you have to watch it. So it's a, it's a sort of a, a lesson in, in, in Shlachas or even in your own personal life. And one more halachic point uh, there's a whole question of whether you can build the trees near a shul. Kiva Eger apparently uh, is one of the earliest ones to say that he thinks that the same halacha should apply to a shul. I have a whole shul here, obviously no time to really get into it, but the Shlem Amar has a question about a shul. They wanted to build an aron that was sticking outside of the shul, outside of the wall. They wanted to make a, a, a garden around people. People ask, is it a question? So he brings older makaris. Some makaris, like Kiva Eger, say that it's a problem. Others say, what are you talking about? Trees in a shul? Who said it's a problem? It's a whole very, very... Um, extensive topic and then we're going to leave it at that.